When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Buck Off Podcast with Lane Grant. Hosted by Christopher Rennie and joined by Jordan Williams. Welcome everybody, this is your host Christopher Rennie bringing you another episode of the Buck Off Podcast. As always, I am joined by Jordan Williams bringing you all the news from this week, which as Jordan said in the chat, the football gods keep blessing us. How you doing today, Jordan? Uh, I'm doing good. Uh, it feels it feels great to be blessed by the football gods. Uh, it's storming outside, which means I'm going to sleep amazing, and I'm off work tomorrow. So, I mean, honestly, I just I can't complain. It's it's going to be a good podcast. It's a good day. Uh, ready ready to jump into it. Yeah, I honestly feel like it was like just yesterday we were recording the last show. So like it did not feel like any time had passed from last Thursday to this Thursday. And I was like, uh, I woke up this morning. I'm like, oh, man, we already got to do a podcast again. But we are here. Uh, this this was a, this was a big week. I, I think this is fun. I think anytime. Um, so we had a huge commitment. Um, we're going to talk about that first, but anytime Gene Smith speaks, I swear to God, there's just so much noteworthy stuff. Cause it feels like he only speaks two to three times a year to the media. That, honestly. Yeah. So like he does so much work behind the scenes and every time he has media availability, it feels like everything is so thought out and so, uh, calculated that, it's just he's always making chess moves. And before we get into the show, I, I just kind of want to talk about it. I, I saw some people like really hating on Gene Smith this week. And I, I, I know he kind of started off a little rough to some Buckeyes. And he's had to make some tough decisions. And what happened with the whole Urban Meyer fiasco kind of turned some of the fan base against him. But I, I don't think I, I think we have one of the better athletic directors in the country. I, I don't think there's many who rival Gene Smith. And I think if Gene Smith was willing, he could even get better jobs in Ohio state. And that's, that's where I think I'm at with Gene Smith. Are there better jobs at Ohio state? Better positions. I say more, more, uh, like he could be a commissioner. I think. Okay. All right. I, I don't think that's a better job than Ohio state, but, um, because that's like, you know, like sometimes you move up too far and it's like, it's not worth the hassle. Um, like having to worry about how to make like people pay attention to records sounds like it would suck. So I'm not sure it's a better job, but like, I'm not sure if it's 
better for the person, but obviously, like, it's, you know, it's bad. I get it. It doesn't matter. I'm rambling, but I do think, and I tweeted this, he should be the Big Ten. He should be the Big Ten's commissioner. And I would miss him at Ohio State, but I'm sure he trained up someone who could take over and do well. Um, he would do a lot better than Kevin Warren. And I think this press conference shows that because he actually – thinks things through, is well thought out, is well spoken. He gets his point across. No, he doesn't tell you everything, but like Kevin Warren is too NFL. He's too used to the NFL where they literally tell you nothing and you and just be like, I'm not telling you anything. Suck it up. Like it's the NFL. We don't have to. And it's like Kyle doesn't work that way. I literally hate watching Kevin Warren. Uh, press conferences. I don't do it because he doesn't say anything, and he never has an answer. Like he's never went to a press conference with an answer, and it's that's a, annoying. It's, it's honestly incredible his ability to say so many words without ever saying something of substance. And that's that's like the complete opposite of Gene Smith, where Gene Smith talks three or four times a year in a serious capacity where he gives journalists and reporters a ton of time. And every single thing he said had so much value that it sparked, I want to say, like 20 different storms on Twitter. I think that might be underrepresenting how much conversation was driven from his press conference. Yeah, but I think I, I, it's it's funny having these conversations because I think at this point, like Buckeye fans and media are just ready to pounce on any everything. Like we have it in this show, it was such a big deal that they wrote an article about the Buckeyes losing and gaining weight and it caused and it caused think pieces. I mean like it doesn't matter who it is, what they say, if it's the Buckeyes, someone's ready to devour it. And so yeah, I just think this incredible. is really this is really a bad time to be saying anything about the Buckeyes, honestly. <laughs> yeah, it's like they never they never say stuff during the season so immediately and they just feed that off season like like, you know, you're just – it's so stagnant usually. But this offseason, it feels like every single week we've had awesome stuff to talk about. Uh, so, yeah, I, I mean, I'm excited. As long as Gene Smith keeps talking, as long as Ryan Day keeps talking, as long as Ohio State keeps hiring new coaches, we're going to have stuff to talk about. But I, I think I want to get started with Luke Montgomery committing. And guess what, Jordan? I still get to talk about recruiting on this show and on Twitter. Uh, I mean, when you are a recruiting guru, what did you expect? Yeah, I mean, this expert analysis is the only thing you guys get here. And once again, me and Jordan were right. I, I put a lot on the line for this one. Uh, my right to talk about recruiting. I, I don't think I, th- I think that was pretty big. But Luke Montgomery from Finley, Ohio. Uh, he's a top 50 recruit, an offensive tackle. Uh, there's a lot to get into here, but let's let's start with Luke Montgomery himself. Uh, did you watch? Did you watch the press conference, the signing day footage he had by chance? No, I didn't. Yeah, I, he's one of those guys, and you know, for like a lot of 16, 17 year olds aren't very comfortable public speaking. Kind of in that moment, you know, you kind of see the nerves overtake them a little bit and they kind of shout step away from that personality that they have. Luke Montgomery is one of those people who he talks and you just buy into him. And I think what I saw from him today, he's one of the most well-spoken recruits I've seen. And there's usually two or three a class like last class CJ Hicks was in that regard. You know, every time he spoke, it was just, you could see the confidence. You could see 
the ability. He moves a room, and that's something that I read about. Luke Montgomery is going to be a very vital piece of this class because of his ability to form relationships and his ability as a football player. So I'm excited for him. I think he's going to be awesome. Uh, What are your initial takeaways on the Luke Montgomery commitment? Um, My initial takeaways – it was it wasn't surprised that he was a buckeye. It was kind of surprised to how like good and, and well regarded he is. I, I mean I even put it in our chat, like uh Bill Landis um in his story said that Luke Montgomery is the highest rated tackle since NPF uh and Paris Johnson Jr. And I like my first question was, is he this good or is the tackle recruiting been that bad? Because it really feels like he's gone under the radar for him to be so highly, you know, thought of uh, 34 offers all over the country. Notre Dame was very heavily in on him uh, for him to be so young and developing and stuff. It just feels like you don't really hear about him. You know, like you, you've heard about Sonny Styles for like three years. You've heard about CJ Hicks for like three years. Like when you have these guys in Ohio that are like, this is the must get number one, number two, Ohio recruit. You hear about him for a while and he kind of went under the radar. And I know some of that was because he was different position and developing and that kind of stuff. But I was honestly just as I looked into him, more just very like shocked at how good he was for how under the radar he seemed uh i think this is an incredible get um i think that you know now that he's committed and the coaches can talk to him they're gonna do what they do with all the recruits they're gonna send him a weight plan they're gonna do what they did with jack sawyer Uh, and jack Jack sawyer was a little different because he didn't play his senior year but they're like we need you to get to this weight before you come in this kind of stuff we need to, you know, work on these techniques. He's going to come to the camp circuit, that kind of stuff, which I think is just going to make him even better. So I don't think, um, and honestly, I mean, I, I know he said that he wanted to, he wanted to start, he wanted to fight for a starting job, and honestly, he might have to start, <laughs> like unless, yeah. unless, yeah. like Vimahi and, and Josh Fryer and some of these other guys, these these flyers uh, pan out, he's at least going to come in with a chance to start, unless we get a shocking Paris Johnson Jr. returned for another season. We we always expected him to be a three and done guy, um, Dewan Jones. Jones is definitely leaving, so it's going to be an opening for a tackle spot. So uh, I, I'm, I think overall a great pickup, and I think Buckeye fans, if you're like me and you don't know that much about him, and you're like us and you actually care about the offensive line, definitely look into him. You'll be impressed. Yeah, I think uh, one thing you brought up was his athleticism, and I, I think a few months ago I saw him playing basketball. And for a guy who is his height and his weight and moving with that innate ability, like he's a guy who could put the ball on the floor. He's got a jump shot. There's videos of him running the fast break, which I I think if you guys understand the size he is, that is absolutely just incredible. He can dunk. And like, I know like a division one athlete, a lot of them can dunk, but that's usually the receivers. That's usually the defensive backs. This Luke Montgomery, offensive lineman, can dunk a basketball. He's that type of explosive an athlete. He moves laterally incredibly well. You can see the two-sport pedigree kind of really taking its shape. And like you said, he just started playing offensive tackle a couple of seasons ago. So I think he's honestly one of those types who's a fringe five-star. And with an incredible season, he might end up being a five-star offensive tackle. Uh, The next thing... I want to talk about is the impact of Justin Fry 
So what I was reading was Kevin Wilson kind of took lead on this with like the questions surrounding Greg Studera. So Kevin Wilson kind of formed the relationship at Finley, kind of built the brands, but Justin Fry came in and closed the deal. And I've got a quote that Buckeye Scoops Alex Lightman posted, and this is kind of from his recruiting day, the questions he was taking after. Uh, He said, I wasn't thinking I'd make a decision for a couple months, but after speaking with him, I knew I wasn't going to miss the opportunity to have him as my own line coach. And I wanted to jump on that opportunity and become a Buckeye. So from the time Justin Fry was announced here, a month later, he signs the best in-state offensive lineman since Paris Johnson Jr. And I, I think that's just a huge reason like a lot of people were questioning if Justin Fry could recruit could not recruit he came in and locked in one of the most important players in Ohio State's 2023 class I mean uh, and not only that I think we mentioned it last week he also kept uh, Carson Hensman and I'm going to lose his name right now but the offensive tackle um, that both of who committed late and I just I've we won't say it all offseason, but since we're talking about him right now, it's important to remember that Carson Hensman is from Wisconsin. So you fire the coach that recruited him, he could have easily said, hey, Wisconsin, I'm sign me up. Yeah. Sign me up. Uh, so, uh, I mean, yeah, that, that was a, a big get. Yeah, and like looking at the teams, like a lot of people, well, Coach Stud was still the coach. Michigan was still very much in play. Uh, Notre Dame was still very much in play, and Justin Fry comes in immediately, fends them off, comes in, says, hey, Luke Montgomery, we are going to make you a superstar. And I think Justin Fry just kind of instills that confidence in people, and I think that's kind of what I took away from his quote. He said, I'm not going to pass up an off opportunity for this guy to be my offensive line coach. That is an incredible uh, – that's incredible for for a recruit to say about a coach. I think you can't you can't really quantify that impact right now. But just you know, three recruits, three wins. Justin Fry's here to stay. Uh, I have him. He's a very similar prospect to NPF, uh, except if NPF was in Ohio. Uh, very great athlete. Needs fifty to sixty more pounds, but once he gets there, he's going to be an absolute monster for the Buckeyes and I think this is something we got to talk about Ryan Montgomery his brother quarterback class of 2024 I believe was standing in the back and guess who was wearing an Ohio State shirt and I don't want to just jump to conclusions here but if he gets that offer if he wants to come to Ohio State he already has the commitment video because his brother he was in the background he already got a cool one. It's like, I'm, I'm staying home with family. I made this decision two years ago when my brother committed. And that's that's all I'm going to say. Let's get excited for his brother now. Yeah, and I mean, um, Ohio State can get any quarterback in the country. And as we talked about with Drew Aller, they just don't send offers just because you're a quarterback in Ohio. Um, Drew Aller did not get one. Or at least he wasn't heavily pushed until late. So for Ohio State to – I'm pretty sure they offered his brother for them to have offered his brother or even talk about him, especially when there's there's so many Jadens and Jalens. What is the Jaden something? The 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 number one recruit in 2024 who's a quarterback that people are saying that Ohio State's going to be after for them to be you know talking to him 
at the same time that they're talking to this guy, it, it must mean that they they think something about. Him. I actually think his brother's a twenty twenty five commit though. Regardless, it's in the it's a while yeah. away, but yeah. uh, it's honestly starting to make me feel old because I graduated in twenty fifteen. Uh, so I was yeah, a twenty fifteen recruit. So yeah, I think his brother's twenty twenty five. I think there's two years be, uh, between them. But um, so this is also off of uh, Bill's story. Uh, there's one more offensive lineman that it seems like Ohio State's going to try to get. Uh, His name is Austin. I'm not going to try to say his last name. But he's the number seven player in Ohio. He's 6'5", 315. Interior offensive lineman. Sounds like he should be moving outside. If he's 6'5", 315 as a junior going into a senior year. But, yeah, so, you know, this is going to be a very heavy offensive line class. And so if Justin Fry can – Lock down these three guys, and this guy is number three forty three nationally. So, not super high, but he's lower. He's higher than some of the other guys we brought in. And he'll probably take it. He'll probably take a jump. You bring in this guy, you lock down all the three good tackles in Ohio. Essentially, good offensive linemen in Ohio. You get one or two more from out of the, out of the state. I think that's going to be a good first class for Justin Fry. Yeah, I think he's on to it. I think he's building something um, extremely uh, impressive to get started here. And the one thing I kind of noticed when they were showing all the recruits of the top 10 tackles in the country, five of them are already committed and three of them are already heavy leans to schools with like eight or nine confidence ratings as I look through it. So it's going to be interesting to see where Justin Fry finds talent here. If he can convince guys or a guy like Caden Proctor to, reevaluate Ohio State. I know he Ohio State didn't make its cut. So it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see how this closes out. I do think this is a class where they're gonna bring in like six offensive linemen. And they need to. Uh as you as we've been alluding to, the depth is not gonna be as as relevant in the next couple of years. It's gonna be a huge position of emphasis the next two to three recruiting classes to kind of rebuild the room. And it, it's it's definitely a challenge for Justin Fry. And I, I'm excited to see what he does with it because uh after this year he's gonna have some names in his cache in the hopefully first round. Uh he's gonna be able to build momentum in that way and he's already showing that he is able to get high end football players to come to Ohio State. Yeah, for sure. And one last thing on the on this other guy they want to get from Ohio. Um, first of all, Ohio State was in on him pretty early, which is not typically the case for Ohio guys, especially guys who aren't high four stars and five stars. He also has um, he also has um, offers from Alabama, he's uh, Penn State, uh, Michigan. So so some team Iowa, some teams that know how to recruit offensive linemen. So. Uh, if Justin Fry gets all three of these guys, regardless of what their ratings look like, obviously Luke Montgomery is the gym. Uh, you know, this is going to be a really good class. And the one thing I'm going to say, uh, because we're recruiting experts occasionally, I will be paying attention to what happens. I think Caden Proctor's gone. Fine, whatever. I will be paying attention to the five-star offensive tackle that I don't know his name, and that's in Massachusetts, because no one has a pipeline to Massachusetts. And, I mean, they'll pro- if he's a five-star, Georgia, Florida, all of them will probably come up to Massachusetts, even if they don't often. But, like, this feels like Seattle, where it's like, 
no one was in Seattle. Ohio State saw some people in Seattle that they wanted, and they got all the five stars out of there except the one quarterback. I feel like this is one of those things where, like, Ohio State just needs to go go swing the Ohio State walking stick and say that no school that's coming to Massachusetts is like us. You're a Buckeye. And so that'll be interesting. You know, the fun part is there are two coaches who have a pretty deep connection to the Northeast. And one's yeah. the head coach of Ohio State in Ryan Day. And, and one's uh, one. Justin Fry who coached at Boston College. So, <laughs> so. It, it's, it's, I mean, that is, that is some good sign. So I think if you call that one, I, I think we could just put recruiting experts in the yeah. show. That's description at all times. That's the one I'm going to be looking for, especially because with like Caden Proctor and um, Xavier and Wonkba, yes, they were the rare five-star prospects in Iowa, but they have the University of Iowa and they have Iowa State. So it's like there were some competition. UMass is a competition for nobody. And so the only school who even quote-unquote consistently goes to Massachusetts is Michigan. And it's always been for like three star guys. And so Ohio State needs to go to Massachusetts and say, listen, we're Ohio State. Yeah. And I think, I think, I think you got Come it. On. I think we got it. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's going to be. That's going to be a story to watch. Uh, you heard it from Buckoff first. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think Luke Montgomery, Buckeye, boom. I don't think he's a recruitment you have to worry about. I don't think he's a guy who's going to be one of the guys who flips. You know, every once in a while you get an early commit who you just have that feeling he's not going to be – he's not going to be there for long haul. That is not Luke Montgomery. He's in. He's yeah, – you he lock him sure. into the class. And Ohio State moved in front of a bunch of teams in 2023 who were talking incredible amounts of crap in January. So before we get on to the next one, let's just go look at the recruiting rankings real quick to – put some people back in their place because that's my favorite thing to do. That's my favorite thing to do on the show is put people back in their place. Um, I, I, while you're looking that up, I would just like to say, I do you remember last two years ago when Alabama had like three commits in June and then they finished with the highest class? Yeah. I don't care about recruiting in January. <laughs> like, it, it's, it's the the only teams that care about their recruiting ranking in January are teams like Penn State, teams like yeah. Michigan State, teams like Michigan, teams like Cincinnati, teams like Oklahoma State, who land some recruits earlier in the top ten. Like, is this our best class ever? Uh, yeah. Is this going to be it? We're in on these guys. We offered these guys, and there's no chance here. All right, so obviously one and two, Notre Dame. Notre Dame's actually got a pretty solid class, credit where credit's due. But They're Ohio State, it, Ohio Notre State, the top five. Yeah, they will. Ohio State moved in front of Michigan State. They moved in front of Michigan. Uh, Michigan fans were like, "Oh, well, you won the game, and we're already out recruiting them." Uh, well, when you've got three, three stars and two five stars committed this early, I like our odds against beating them in recruiting once again. Uh, Tuck is coming. Michigan State fans haven't really been too loud about it, so I'll appreciate them. Uh, Oklahoma fans were coming out and saying, hey, we're recruiting better than Ohio State under Venables. We've got this. Uh, Not anymore, so maybe you don't. And I just wanted to bring up those three. I just wanted to bring up mostly Michigan fans because Michigan fans have taken every chance to poke the Ohio State bear, and I just don't think it's going to end very well for them. I I just want to clarify – 
they have Michigan has two four stars. So you said five stars. Oh, two and four was, stars. And I was like, uh, what five stars do they have already? Like the yeah, way two you four stars, five three three stars. stars. Like, Whoa, they got five stars already. Um, yeah. So Notre Dame has two five stars. Who are their five stars? Keon Keeley on the defensive tackle. Yeah, it doesn't really matter. Drake Uh, Bowen. This is a five-star? He's a five-star linebacker. Okay, well, whatever. Good for them. Uh, But, yeah, it's it's mostly irrelevant at the top right now. Uh, It's going to be the same people in the end. It always is. Uh, but I, I would bet. I, I honestly, I don't know. Notre Dame, they're probably not going to get. They'll probably finish at like six or seven, though. That'll be. Yeah, they're not going to. I, I highly doubt they keep Keon Keeley. Uh, he is the number 16th prospect, the number one uh, defensive. He's the number one edge, and he's the fifth player in the state of Florida. He's not going to Notre Dame. Florida kid. Uh, he's yeah. not. That's right. I mean, if, if he does, if he does, I will give so much props to Marcus Freeman. Uh, obviously, I still need to see it on the – I still need to see it on the, uh, the field, but I just don't believe it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so that's it for recruiting on Book Off today. Uh, let's get into it. Let's get into Gene Smith. Let's do it. Let's get it done. Uh, so Gene Smith started a firestorm, and it, it was really, I think, extremely overblown because odds are most of the time Ohio State in the playoff isn't going to be a home field advantage team. They're going to be a first-round bye team. And then odds are even further, we don't even know when these games are going to be played yet. So – Arguing about if it's going to be inside or outside is kind of a moot point until you realize, is this going to be a late December first playoff game? Is this going to be an early December first playoff game? Uh, So Gene Smith said he'd consider Lucas Oil Stadium as the home field for Ohio State if they were in the playoffs. And I have the full quote here. Uh, if you give me one second, it just refreshes the page. So I actually do not have the full quote here, but that's what editing's for. Uh, so I've got it here. Uh, he said, I don't want a hard service for the players. And I know the fans would love to have it in the shoe. And maybe it's stowing or we're playing whoever, but that surface is a whole new ball game. And I would prefer to have the indoor elements and have a clean field. If it was this year, I would want Ohio State to have good weather. It's just that simple. Uh, he said, we've been blessed to have experiences in Lucas Oil Stadium playing in the Big Ten Championship. And I think our fans understand the environment. They love the hotels. They love the restaurants and all that. So it said, so while it's difficult to take away the game from the shoe, I still think that's the right thing to do for the players in the game. So this obviously had Ohio State split right down the middle. I think half the fans were like, why would you take this game away from the horseshoe? What's the point of home field advantage? And uh, half the fans were like, well, this Ohio State team uh, would be much better suited for an indoor environment. Uh, so it makes tons of sense. Uh, so I know we disagree on it. So I, I just want to say – this before we get into it. Um, I know Ohio State is a really good football team, and I know December in Ohio is very random with its weather. Uh, And I think when you talk about a team that's elite most of the time, you want them to have as little outside variables as possible. And I know cold weather is something Ohio – like high schools and like Northern schools really pride themselves in. 
But I, I really just don't think it's advantageous to play in it like a lot of people think. And it definitely that's just, is. It's not because if you play in cold weather and you don't have the lineman, if you don't have that, it doesn't matter. Like C.J. Stroud, you can't throw it 45 times if the wind – Ohio winds are – Ridiculous, and I, I don't, I just don't think it makes sense to have a team that is so athletic, so fast, because physicality shows up indoor or outdoors. That's not the issue. Speed can be counteracted in snow, in wind, in bad conditions, and that's kind of where I'm coming from. Plus, I think the home field advantage aspect is overrated. It's only worth half a point to one point when it comes to sports gambling. So, I think Vegas gives it a little bit of benefit, but in reality, it is always going to come down to talent. So I think you lessen the variables. I think you take away any outside factors and you just let Ohio state play their football to the best of their ability without any outside factors. No, I disagree a hundred percent. And here's my thing. So you obviously went to school in Ohio, right? Yes. You lived a lot of your life in California. Do you remember both times the first winter that you had coming from California and Ohio? Well, it is. I am at an advantage because I lived in Utah, too. So I knew what winter was like. Okay. So a lot of these Southern schools specifically have guys who have never seen snow, who have never played it. And I think one thing that people are forgetting is like, we're not just talking, like we're not talking about negative degree weather. That almost never happens in December. And that's really what Gene Smith is talking about. That like when it's really, really bad, he would like to go. But 30 degree weather is cold to someone from Alabama, someone that's only been in Florida. Like they don't see 30 degree weather, 25. Like that's not that cold to us. And the thing that I've disagreed with the most is that there is no when there's no team that is built for the snow. Like that's not a thing. Playing in the cold is a mentality. It is. And I know partially because I went to Kent and they recruited a lot of people from Florida. And I remember how they practiced and how they played and different things like that. It's not about talent. It's a mentality. And Ohio State should at least at a bare minimum, because you have to live in the winter, even if you don't play in it, even if they go and practice in their cushy little indoor, which is stupid. I think they should practice outside some. I think that's stupid to just practice outside for no reason. Absolutely not. Football is an outside sport. Like, forget the cushy little indoor. Like, if it's not like a, a snowstorm and the field is ruined, or like it's like negative degrees outside, go, go outside. Regardless, like... I feel like it is an advantage because it's a mindset like someone who's only seen 70 degree weather. It's just it's just like the opposite. Right. It's just like how they talk about how Denver has an advantage because they're in the they're in the high out. And you literally see other teams go to Denver and have to use oxygen because they're not used to playing there. Or like going to California and playing football in August. They have an advantage because it doesn't get that hot in certain places. It's absolutely an advantage because it's a mindset to be able to play in that. Like I remember going to a football camp in Georgia in the middle of summer where I literally got sunburned off of the the turf because it doesn't get that hot in Ohio. So it is an advantage. And I think people are going like the absolute worst, like absolute snowstorm and like that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, 
you should always want to play a game at home, especially a playoff so, game. I, I, it is an advantage. Lucas, Lucas Oil is the second home for Ohio State, so it's still a home field advantage. It's still, it's, it's, but it's not and a home game. It's not in it, Columbus. It doesn't need to be in Columbus to be a home game, and that it doesn't. That, it, it, and Gene Smith doesn't want to take it away from Columbus. He didn't say he wanted to take it away. He said in outside conditions, and I just think at the end of the day. You want to limit variables when you're going to be a significantly more talented team. And that's what an indoor stadium does. That's why most NFL teams are moving to indoor stadiums that are in above the snow line. That's why it's so advantageous. It's like, would you rather have Josh Allen throwing into the 40-mile-an-hour winds in Buffalo or would you rather have him have a clean area to throw? And that's not – that's not – it's more common football in Buffalo, football. obviously. Football football's football. It is. But at the end of the day, C.J. Stroud throwing to Jackson Smith and Jigba on turf that's fast still and not hard as concrete because of the cold weather is better for Ohio State than playing in cold weather. And that's just the fact. And I know everyone in Ohio wants to pride this team in being strong and tough and being in cold weather. And I think Ohio State's going to get back to that. I think they're going to get back to being a tough football team. But the Ohio State team we've seen the last two years is not built that way. And it needs it, it. We saw it in California, how explosive the offense was. And we saw it in a snowstorm, how explosive the offense was. I They didn't lose that game team. because of the snow. Let's start I know there. they did. I'm they just saying that game the, offensive explosiveness, that game in the offensive explosiveness in California versus in a snowstorm in the cold was significantly different. And you could see it in the last three or four games as it started getting colder. I Listen, football is an outside sport. If you can't play in the cold, you don't deserve to win. I'm not saying they can't play in the cold. I'm just saying it's better if they don't. And that's the point. I, if you have to like, and I understand exactly what you're saying, and I understand what he's saying, and I get it, and I like, I fully understand. My thing is, if you need that advantage to win, then you're not going to win the title. It's not but an it's, advantage to win; it just makes it easier to win. I don't think that that is more because important bad weather than makes it better for the team that's worse. The worst team I, gets more help from bad weather. No, they don't because they're in the weather too. That's what the I'm saying. So it hurts the better team with bad weather. No, it doesn't. It hurts both it teams. Always does. It always hurts. So it, you're you're telling me you're an NFL fan. The Green Bay Packers always play for home field advantage. They're built with Aaron Rodgers. They're built with speed. They always lose to a physical football team like San Francisco in Green Bay. Because it's Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> Aaron Rodgers oh, is not a. Aaron Rodgers is yeah, not a. Else is from California. CJ Stroud's from California. Aaron Rodgers Aaron, from California. Aaron Rodgers is not a winner. He's just Tom not. Brady went to Florida. <laughs> Aaron Rodgers is not a winner. That's a terrible example. <laughs> it's not a terrible example. They're Aaron always the favorites. They always play for home field advantage. If Aaron Rodgers played in a dome, which he has, he's been. The year he went to the Super Bowl, they didn't have any home field advantage. They went to warm weather places and they went to the Super Bowl. Aaron Rodgers is just not a winner. You're, you, the Aaron Rodgers point is making my point more than it's making anything it's else. Not. Josh, Josh Allen won in Buffalo. The Bills won in Buffalo. Uh, Josh Allen played great. But look at the Patriots. They never won because of Tom Brady and Foxborough. They won because of their defense. And Ohio State doesn't have the defense right now to do that. But here's the thing. If that's the case, then, again, the issue is with the program. 
but that's if you the don't thing. have a defense to play a cold weather, they get a better defense. If you yeah, don't have the offense to play a cold weather, they get a better offense. And not only just like, because I understand Ohio State fans and the stadium experience is not what it should be, but there's more benefit to that. Like, it's also, and something that me and you don't have to think about, but like Gene Smith should think about, that brings a lot of money to Ohio State. It brings a lot of money in ticket sales. It brings a lot of money to the city, to restaurants, hotels, all this other kind of stuff. There's more to having a game in the city than just like, oh, 100,000 fans want to go to the stadium. There's a lot more to it. And like, while I understand that there is a maybe even significant chance that they're going to play better in a dome, I just don't think that matters. And if that's the reason you don't want to play there, I, I think that's soft. It's not. I don't even care if it's soft. I don't even care if it's soft. I want to win a national championship, and playing inside is the best bet for Ohio State to win a national championship. I agree with that, hundred percent. And that's what I told someone on Twitter when they tried to say Gene Smith should be fired for it. That it, like he, the best way to build your brand is winning a national championship, and the best way to do that is probably playing every single game inside. I just don't care. I think it's soft. And they're going to play plenty of games outside in November and December. And yeah, and I'm, I'm tired of this. So this is the other thing I'm tired of. And it's fans being complaining. Like I told you, the attendance numbers are down. And last year we kind of threw out because of COVID. But since 2016, that was a four-year consecutive drop before COVID hit. Yeah, that's so, crazy. So I, I, if fans really care so much about a game being in Ohio Stadium, and I think you agree with me on this part, show up to the games. Oh yeah, 100%. Because like, if Ohio State, like, I like, I'd give Penn State a ton of credit if they would benefit from having a wideout playoff game. And I know Ohio State owns them in the wideout. That's not the point, but I think that would be more advantageous. Because I'm gonna be honest, I think Ohio State fans have become complacent a little bit. They expect a lot, and I think it's reflected in their fanhood at games. I remember two years ago, I was a student still, two or three years ago when I was still in school, a quarterback from an opposing team said it wasn't even that loud. And it was a big game. It was either it had. No, it wasn't a big game. It was it was a lower tier quarterback in the Big Ten. But I still think if you're going to be a home field advantageous team, it needs to be incredibly loud. Yeah. Um. Home field advantage is, is <clears throat> home field advantage is not my argument because I don't think home field advantage really matters. Um, I don't think it matters anywhere. I mean, look at Penn State's record in the whiteout with not just Ohio State with everyone. I just think that it is a good thing for the fans. It is a good thing for the city, and Ohio State should be good enough to be able to play anywhere. And not the home field advantage, but the weather advantage is a factor because. I, the, like we're used to it, but I'm telling you, even if they played in 50 degree weather, someone that's the, Florida almost never gets that. Like it's not this doom and gloom, 30, like 10 degree weather snowstorm in December. That almost never happens in Ohio. It's most likely someone actually pulled it up, and the average weather is like 41 degrees. It's like 41 degrees. That's nothing to us. People here walk around in shorts and that. That is very cold to someone that's always lived their entire life down south. And that is a that is still an advantage because it ultimately it's a mindset, especially in a game that's tough. Getting tackled in 80 degree weather on warm turf is not the same as getting tackled in 30 or 40 degree weather on cold turf. That the weather itself can knock someone out of the game mentally, which gives you a bigger advantage than just 
being able to throw the ball a couple more times in the dome. Now, if it was like January, well, like if they were talking about like, like a national championship or something like that, absolutely. That's great. where like, I think our editor Matt made a good point. Like if it's in early December, yeah, fine, have it in Ohio State. But if it the later it gets in December, the closer we get to that chance of it being bad inclement weather you move it inside. So, like, if the game's December 28th versus December 2nd, I think there's a real conversation to have there. Yeah. I mean, think about the national championship this year, which was inside. Think about all the fans and the media members and things like that from the South who complained that it was up north, and they were going to sit inside a stadium. It is like yeah. I know I keep saying it, but it is literally a mindset. The thought of them having to go play in 35-degree weather in Ohio in the middle of December – is going to make a lot of people quit before the game even starts. And then when you bring back that toughness, like Justin Fry said, when his daughter is up in the stands and it's fourth and one, and she knows that we're running left because that's the offensive line he built and it's 35 degrees, they're not going to want to do that. Like that is more of an advantage that I think people, including yourself, are, are actually giving it because no, like people don't want to play in that. Like, and also, I just think it's soft, and I don't like anything that's soft. And Ohio State is soft right now. And I think if he would have said that, if we would have won a national championship and he said that, no one would have blinked. But after losing to Michigan and fans are, fans are trying to say we lost to Michigan because it was snowing, that's not true. We would have lost that game. We didn't lose because it was snowing. Like that. It, just a, it was just bad timing. I agree 100% that the best route to a national championship is playing every single game in a dome stadium. I just don't like it. I think it's soft. I think it's dumb. And it should be in Columbus. I think the fan experience aspect, I understand. I think the benefits it brings to the city, I understand. But I'm 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 Ohio State wins a national championship. And best case scenario for me, that's it through Lucas Oil. And they're gonna play there this year. So we're gonna get a real pressure test on this. I'm gonna wait till the Big Ten Championship game and I'm gonna take temperature readings outside to see if a game during the Big Ten Championship weekend would be playable. And we got two years to debate this, so I'm excited. Yeah, I just don't be soft. That's it. Yeah, and we're working and you can be a finesse team and not be soft. Most good teams in college football are a finesse team. But the yeah. thing is, there's a line, though. There's like there's like Ohio State is teetering a line where we're not st- – and I actually don't like being called a finesse team because I don't think we're fully that. Finesse team to me is Oklahoma. No, we're a thousand percent of finesse team. We're still – we're a lot – we're a lot no. more tougher than Oklahoma. Yeah, we are. Uh, Mm, no, Oklahoma I can't look at the team last year. year. Last Oklahoma year, the team was not tougher than Oklahoma. They were the same they team. Were. Oklahoma, no, they were a more talented that. Oklahoma. And I, I and I, I, I know I've thought about this a lot. That was the softest Ohio State team I've ever seen, and they were Oklahoma. I still they were think the really they, good. They were the Kyler Murray Oklahoma team. I still think the softest Ohio State team is more tough than an Oklahoma team. Those teams are bad. Like, like, they don't have any – like, we had players who were tough and – like, there were still some tough guys on that team. It just wasn't everyone. They don't have any. Like, all of the defensive linemen and offensive linemen and all the people – like, Oklahoma supposedly has the best offensive line coach in the country, and you would never know it. Ohio State was down bad, but I won't accept that they were down that bad. Because they, they still had to play Big Ten football. The offense like, was soft. Lost. The defense – I don't even know if the defense was soft. They were just bad. 
Yeah, like that's the thing. Like Ohio State, they weren't like. <laughs> but then again, rewatching the Michigan game in my head right now, they were soft. The defense was soft too. And then they rewatching beat. the Oregon game, they were soft. Yeah, they just weren't. Yeah, yeah they were soft. Yeah, it was it was an incredibly soft. soft team, and I would. Yeah. And the and talent I makes up for a lot of the softness. So I think when you're the softest team in Ohio State history, I don't think I, I'm placing you with Oklahoma. Nah, I won't do we that. We were we were a Pac-12 team with Ohio State talent last year, like mentally. I won't, I won't do that. We still had to play in the Big Ten. Like yeah. we still had to play. Like yeah, yeah, no, I won't do that. There were there are levels to it. Like we weren't Georgia tough. We clearly right, weren't so Michigan tough, but we were not. Break, yeah, Oklahoma. before the break, where would you rank Ohio State in the Big Ten in toughness? Ohio, where would I rank them in the Big Ten in toughness? One through I fourteen. Would, one through fourteen. I would rank them five. No, hold on. Okay, so Michigan, Illinois, Wisconsin. Oh, Wisconsin was kind of soft last year too, but not the linebacker. So Wisconsin, Michigan, Illinois, Wisconsin. Um, Iowa largely off their center, but they're kind of a finesse team. Their offense is super soft. I would still give it to Iowa. We were pretty soft. And then Michigan State. I think we're and, I think we're tougher than Michigan State. Yeah, so five. No, but I, I I'd give Nebraska was tougher than us. Oh wow. Okay. You know what? Their whole identity was toughness. You're right. Okay. So six. And then I, it gets into that debate. I, I mean, Penn State that, wasn't like, tougher. Maryland, Rutgers, Indiana I don't know. definitely I give wasn't. Penn State's defense some credit and toughness. Their offense wasn't tough. It, but then I, I, that's where it kind of breaks up. I think Ohio State's either seven or eight. Maryland's yeah. for sure not. Michigan State's for sure not. Rutgers, they want to be tough. They just don't have the players to even be tough. Yeah, I would say six or seven because I'm not sure. I would switch maybe Iowa and Penn State. I'm not sure Iowa was tougher than Ohio State. Iowa was pretty soft. Yeah, so well, yeah, and that's, not, the, they that's, not, Ohio eight, that's Minnesota, not Ohio State. That's not Ohio State. Minnesota, Minnesota lost to Bowling Green, but then they had like 17 running backs play because they all got injured. So like, I don't know. And toughness is unquantifiable. This is just yeah. all eye test, yeah. and like, and that's and that's the thing. I'm not saying they were tough. I'm just saying Oklahoma would not. Have, Oklahoma would be closer to Maryland. <laughs> like, yeah, Oklahoma like, just, would be closer to Maryland, and Ohio State was way too close to being Oklahoma last year. Yes, that I agree with. I just won't give you that they were Oklahoma. Oklahoma is very soft. <laughs> like, and we we do talk in in hundred. Like we we talk in. Full on, we 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 give everything yeah. to our takes. So yeah. that's why they're Oklahoma. Same thing, just a little bit more talented, better receivers, better quarterback, more talented on offense, and it matched a lot of it. And I'm really excited because I think Ohio State in the second half of the Rose Bowl finally became tough. Well, sorry, um, better quarterback. Are you sure? Because like you didn't see the reports that uh, you know Spencer Rattler and. Um, Caleb Williams were the better quarterbacks returning for 2022. I'm just not sure that you can say we had the better quarterback. Like, maybe, I, I, maybe we're homers because obviously are, Spencer Rattler, who got benched, is better than C.J. Stroud. I mean, it's, two, it's clear. Yeah, super clear. I, I'd say the two best quarterbacks are def, definitively Spencer Rattler and Caleb Williams. And then yeah. – there's Long, a big gap. Wide, wide gap. Yeah. Bryce Graham Young Canyon. Yeah, yeah. CJ Stroud's definitely four. 
And uh, and I I don't even think there's I don't even think there's anything you can do on the field that proves he's better. I mean, it's not you know throwing for I mean, a lot of touchdowns and a lot of yards for almost five thousand yards, and then like not get benched and While missing a game through the injury, a uh, separated shoulder at that, and your throwing arm. I mean, you could like literally manipulate safeties and throw receivers open. And your first year as a starter at the age of 19, but just like being able to run fast and like stealing the ball and a play that probably should be illegal to get a first down in a game that you shouldn't lose, but you were losing. Definitely makes you a better. It's the intangibles. Why throw from the pocket when you can run? And, you know, like, CJ Stroud would have never thought to steal the ball from a player and, and moving forward and uh, after the whistle should have been blown and, and rushed for a first down. It's just. And all, all jokes aside, uh, CJ Stroud probably made like eight or nine throws in the Rose Bowl that Caleb Williams could have made. Period. Yeah, ever. Not at all. And that's, so. that's where we're at. But yeah, that's going to take us to the break. Uh, we've got some fun stuff in the second half. We got. We got our Stephen A. and Skip Bayless on here. It was a lot of fun, but we will see you guys on the flip side. Welcome back in, everybody. This is your host, Christopher Rennie. Uh, episode of Book Off. It's been a fun one. Um, Lucas Oil Stadium, uh, the second home of Ohio State. I, I will say, regardless of how you feel about indoor-outdoor, uh, Gene Smith 100% confirmed that Lucas Oil is Ohio State's second home. Oh, yeah. And as a coach fan, I love it. Literally, the only thing that could be better. Actually, side note, uh, we just hired Gus Bradley. And one of the positions in his defense is the Leo. So I just get to spend the next, like, four years just, just like, learning about Leos. Yeah. Like, the, I, I think they probably have somewhat of a similar defense. But um, the only thing that could be better is if Buckeyes actually played better in Lucas Oil when they were on the Colts. Like, for some reason, the Buckeye the Indianapolis pipeline just doesn't work. Like, Paris Campbell, stud, injured all the time. Lee Cooker, stud, injured all the time. Like, there's been a couple other ones. Uh, um, we have the defensive line, but I'm going to forget his name right now. Tyquan Lewis. Just, it just didn't it just didn't pan out. Uh, he almost got cut. They're like, you know what I mean? So, yeah, that's the only thing I could make this better. I will say, before we continue, it was fun getting our uh, Stephen A. and Skip on, like you said, because we agree a lot on this show. Yeah. So a lot is... of our episodes are very, like, harmonious. It's like, yeah, I agree. Next topic. So it's like, it's good to get a little... Little, uh, it, it was it was a nice change of pace and yeah no I think I love Luke Soil Stadium I, I've been there three times it is truly like if you have an opportunity so if you're a student it's like 50 bucks to go to the game it's like 75 bucks to get the bus ticket down there and they get you down there like two hours early their downtown area is so well set up for hosting games it, it's just not, yeah. you, can, you can't you can't beat it and that's something <laughs> I, I love I've loved every game I've been there. It's been awesome. Too. If you, if you, yeah, if you buy it early enough, which honestly you could probably just buy it now and expect them to go there. Uh, they have like four or five hotels that connect to a conference center that connects to Lucas Oil, and those are almost always reserved for fans because it's too close to the stadium. Like so, maybe the really really nice ones. But uh, when I w- I was there during one of the Big Ten championship games, and Ohio State was not staying at one of the stadiums that connected because all the fans go there and they they wanted to like drive in and stuff. They were just very close, so you could literally talking about the weather and not wanting to be outside because Buckeyes are soft. You could literally get a hotel where you can get to the stadium without ever having to step outside, which is why 
it's the perfect place for the combine and the NFL is going to literally ruin the combine by putting it in LA or other places. Yeah, trying to go ruined. through LA trying to go through LA traffic to get your physicals. I can't wait for it. It's gonna it, be it's literally going to be terrible. And that's the thing, like in Indianapolis you're the like furthest thing away from the airport, you're like twenty minutes from the stadium from the airport. So it's yeah. just, it's incredibly easy to get there. It's it, Indianapolis is very similar to Columbus in the way it's built and structured. And it is a they just have an conference. It's a great conference city. I've been to Indianapolis a million times for conferences because it is one of the best conference cities uh, because it's just the convention center. It's literally it, built like, for conferences. Yeah, you can literally go from your hotel, which has conference rooms, to a major conference center. You can walk to the – like the hotels connect to the mall. Like you can go to the mall without ever having to go outside. There's parking garages. It connects to the stadium. Like it is, it's literally like they built it perfectly for conferences and football. And yeah. the NFL's like, hmm, I wonder if we could take this to LA. But yeah, yeah. It's, but yeah. So I need to go to the Big Ten championship game. I'm gonna actually go this year. I haven't been to a lot of in-person football games. I haven't been to an Ohio State game in a a while. I've never been to a Colts game. That's on my list. I'm actually going to go to a Colts game this year. Um, So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I think we we always plan it. We plan a trip, me and my friends. And we're trying to keep the tradition going, and they just blew it against Michigan. So the streak was ended, but we're hoping to restart it again this year and get a chance to – you know, everyone's moving around, so it'd be a, like we said, Indianapolis in the center of everything. Uh, great place to re-meet with everybody. So I'm hoping Ohio State gets back there. I I, only, I guaranteed it a couple shows ago, so yeah, I'll see you guys in Indianapolis. Um, but yeah, I think uh, I think it's 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 good time. Uh, but I, I will say this was my favorite part of the Gene Smith interview. Uh, smooth transition here. Uh, Gene Smith pretty much ended the alliance. Not not in the idea, but in anything they wanted to do outside of controlling votes, he ended the alliance. Yeah. I think <laughs> one of my favorite things about it, uh, and I think that you have the quotes, is that he just admitted what everyone knew. He literally was like, when it comes to comparing conferences, we never compare ourselves to the ACC and the Pac-12. And then he said when it came – and I think maybe he used the word burden – I think maybe you should read this one exactly so I don't just, like, make it up. But he said something either burden or carrying. He said when it comes to scheduling the games, you are going to – even if we went down to eight, we don't want to have to carry that or something of that line for the Pac-12 and the ACC. Basically saying, like, we don't want to carry them. Like, we want to be able to schedule good yeah, teams. We don't want to absolutely. carry those conferences on the back of the, of the Big Ten, which is literally what they would have been doing. And as we started out the show saying – most people aren't that honest, but it's true. Like they would have been carrying those two conferences. Absolutely, they were close to the well, and two the big ten. So I've got the quote here. Uh, this is how we started it. When we first started the alliance, there was a little bit about scheduling, and that kind of shifted. We had the eight versus nine conference games conversation more intensely at that time, with the thought: if we played eight. Would there be an ACC or Pac-12 school that we might play and add to the group? But we moved away from that pretty quickly because many of us felt like nine games was still right for us. We thought that conference contests from a TV partner point of view were just as valuable. We decided to kind of walk away from that a little bit. It doesn't mean it might not come back up, 
the value of the alliance was just bringing schools that think alike together. And I want to touch on that last part of the quote. The one reason they brought the schools that think alike together was because the SEC turned into a bunch of backstabbers who wanted to take over total control of college football and the three schools aligned for voting power. And that's really what it's all about. Yeah. But, but yeah, I think and it was almost like a knee jerk reaction. And I do think they're going to find a way to keep it going with that kind of stuff because I, I academically that, these schools align. But sports wise, I, I think in other all. sports, like non oh, non football sports, there's actually a lot of potential in alliance based scheduling. But what, like, Gene Smith alluded to nine conference games when you're negotiating with a TV partner. Ohio State doesn't want to bring the ACC and the Pac-12 to the negotiating table when they're talking to no. these networks who are pursuing them. They're like, they yeah, need to bring the Big Ten. Nine, yeah, the Pac-12 and the ACC need the Big Ten, and that's kind of what we talked about before the, before the show. Ohio State does not need the Pac-12 and ACC to stand on itself. The Pac-12 is falling significantly behind. And Oregon State versus. I don't even know. You could an Oregon State versus Iowa game is ten times more valuable to Oregon State than it is to Iowa. So it would really be counterproductive for the Big Ten to give up any of its commercial power to just help like have some fun matchups. Yeah. Especially when they can just do that. Like yeah. like we had a we had a home and home schedule with Oregon. Obviously one game got canceled. But we still have a home and home scheduled with them in like four or five years. Like they schedule two home and homes. Like we can still like when when USC gets back on, I bet you they schedule a home and home with USC. Yeah. You know, like they're going to play some like I would love to see a, a well North well, look, I would love to see a North Carolina home and home, but it's not gonna happen when Mac Brown is still there. So they'll probably be trash again. Uh but like they, I, I don't think they'll ever schedule a Clemson home and home. I think there's a little bit of hate there. But we have Alabama on there, which is oh Georgia's gosh. on there. We have Georgia on there. We have Texas. Notre Dame's like, coming up. Yeah, Notre Dame, the home and home is this year and next year. Yeah, so it's not like there's going to be bad out-of-conference matchups just because there's not the alliance. I, I will say, like, yeah, I think you want to have allegiances. You want to work together for different things, but you still have to stand on your own independently, and it's the best for the Big Ten to do that. Yeah. Yeah, and he's straight up. This is funny. He straight up says, it's rare that we compare ourselves to even the ACC or the Pac-12. Like you said, the alliance, if we're just looking at team value – we're more valuable to the ACC or Pac-12 than they are to us, which is what we were building. Yeah, and I can't believe that he said that. I'm glad he, he said, said that it, though, out loud. True. And uh, I think it was Bill Landis and maybe someone else, a couple other people. It's basically they. They a lot of people are like Ohio State knows their weight, knows their position, but on a lot of things recently, they played ball for the betterment of the Big Ten. And Gene Smith was like, I'm not playing ball on this. Like, there are things that they played ball on that didn't necessarily help Ohio State. And they didn't – I mean, they were very late to throw their weight around with getting the season uh, back after the pandemic. And regardless of how you feel about that, and that was largely player-led. Like, Ohio State has done some things that, you know, don't necessarily benefit them for the betterment of the conference because they're not total assholes. They do still respect the conference and the history. And, but this is something that they were like, no, <laughs> we're not doing this. And I will say um, they, these are usually football-centric conversations because it brings in the most revenue. But there are still other sports to think about as well so that is always on gene smith's mind which a lot of fans forget i, I think yeah, we should and, add 
And I think that a lot of people don't recognize this, even at even at a school like Ohio State. Football is one of the only teams that travels by plane. Like an alliance where you have to take your rifling team to California is terrible. Like when you have to take your volleyball team to like South Carolina, which maybe that's not as far as I'm making it seem, but like when you go to some of these far reaches of places, yeah, for the football team, you just hop on a flight because you have that money. But Ohio State has 20, 30, 40 sports or whatever. And if the, and, and you can't tell me that the Pac-12 wouldn't want to do that because they're the conference of champions, they're the conference of the Olympic sports. You're going to take your swimming team to go play USC. Like no, that's going to be terrible. It's going to yeah, stretch your budget. UCLA going to gonna take their team and come to Columbus. Like yeah, like so. Um, no, it, it's the alliance was for certain things, and even that's falling apart because I think the, the alliance ACC, did its job. Honestly, yeah. But even some of the like non-sports things are falling apart because they can't. They're not on the same stage with the playoffs because if you listen to all the reports, the ACC first wanted eight teams, largely because they were trying to force Notre Dame into the conference, and now supposedly they don't feel it's the right time for expansion. Yeah, and uh, their commissioner uh, cited like internal issues with like some of the schools and like the length of how long players are going to play. I mean, that's like, that's stupid. It's just like, they're going to be playing the same amount of time if you do it correctly. And I think uh, like you're listening to basketball schools like Duke and UNC in a football conversation. And that, that comes, that comes back to our bias of being football first guys. But I I do think that's, I think there's a big reason Gene Smith came out and said what he said, because Ohio state, is honestly, I'd say Ohio State's more valuable than both those conferences, and that—that's just—that's not biased. I think you're going to see it when TV deals come out. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, Ohio State probably is more valuable than those conferences, especially with the rate of where the conferences are going. Yeah. Um, and I need that specifically, honestly, from a TV standpoint. Obviously, the schools yeah. are worth significant, like similar amount. Like UCLA is worth similar amounts of money as Ohio State. But from a TV standpoint for sports, Ohio State's the most valuable brand. Yeah. Uh, the one thing that I would say is I want to know if nine conference games, and I don't feel like doing the math, so I want someone to tell me, is nine conference games committing to divisions, or can you do divisionless football with nine conference games? That's all I care about. I need them to figure out how to do that with nine. I just hope the nine isn't them saying we're also going to keep divisions, because I think that's bad for the Big Ten. Yeah, I don't um, think it worked I think- perfectly with eight. I, they would have to do a little bit of gymnastics with nine, I think, but uh, figure it out. I think I think the I think the math still works. I know with ten teams, the Big Twelve was very capable of doing it effortlessly because you just play everybody once. Yeah. Uh, but with fourteen, that kind of takes into it, and the math does change just a little bit. So maybe you do uh, three. I think you, uh, I don't know. you split it into. Uh, I mean, maybe just have one more school get three, five uh, thirds, and then you just add four games from the other two, and then. Boom, we got it. And it's yeah. rotating them every year. Yeah, either way, as long, I just want them to get rid of divisions. That's all I care yeah, about. I, the I think, the ninth game is fine. I never I wanted them to the, get on the eight anyway. The modern uh, college football game is just not suitable for divisions. It doesn't increase the value of the conference. And once you go to 12 teams in the playoffs, 
you don't want to waste your conference champion spot on that one out of every hundred upset where a team that's nine and four gets the nod. It's just not. Yeah. Um, also, I'm pretty sure the big, the SEC is going to have to go up to nine once they go to 16 teams. They're going to have to go up to nine and do, have to uh, and do away with division. So staying at nine stays on par with the SEC. We I don't think we may. ever get to. Never see it, Alabama George regular season game again with their strategies. No, with the when they go into the pod system, we'll see it more than we see it now. Because they're yeah, gonna do they're gonna do what teams, they, do you think? Yeah, they will. Um, that's why they have to get rid of it. That's why they have to get rid of it and go nine. They'll play more than they play now because they're gonna do like they're gonna do one or two keep it or whatever, and then they'll round robin it. Um, and so, yeah, they'll actually play. Um, I don't know how often Alabama Georgia plays, but they'll play more than they play now. For I think sure. it's been like nine years since they've had a regular season game against each other. Yeah, they'll play. I saw that someone did the math before. They'll play every two or three years or something like that versus nine. So it actually yeah. would happen a little bit more. Yeah, um, I know. But yeah, I, I mean. The Big Ten has that problem too. So like we we haven't yeah. played quite a few teams in a long time. Like I, it's not I as bad as the SEC, but yeah, yeah, not near as bad because they have so many must play games like in their own divisions and like across. Like there's so many rivalries across the divisions that it just really isn't possible for them in their current state. But yeah, I mean, I, I think the end of the Lions. I, it, it's really just we all kind of knew it was. It was a show. It was a show. Yeah. Ohio State would absolutely never do it. They would never allow it. But the Big Ten just needs to convince Cincy to come to the Big Ten instead of the Big 12, have 15 teams, and do a round robin. But Ohio State will, will absolutely refuses to be the only – the the two Big Ten programs in Ohio. So yeah. maybe uh, you can't get Kentucky out of the SEC – Maybe Louisville. Louisville's close enough. I mean, they'd be a scrub, but, like, get them out of the ACC. They're, yeah. I mean, Kentucky's the basically the, Ohio. The problem with the Kentucky schools is they consider themselves Southern schools for whatever reason. <laughs> Kentucky is Ohio. Shut up. And Ohio's – and then Southern Ohio's Kentucky. We don't care about that. Um, they're, and they're in the ACC. Like, what is it? Come on now. Uh, they would never do Pittsburgh – they would also suck in the Big Ten, but like they would technically be in the footprint. Uh, Notre Dame would be the ideal, but that's not going to happen. They just need to get like none of the Kansas schools. What was it? Iowa USC to the Big Ten. That was one. That was funny. Yeah, those are crazy Iowa times. Iowa wouldn't allow Iowa State, but like they should do that, and then that'd be cool. Yeah, just like add one more team, and then and just have fifteen. Just, yeah, uh, I'm excited. I mean. Uh, I think the I don't know I mean realignment's always going to be a conversation till for a long time I think our I don't think realignment's done in our lives at all I think we're going to get some crazy stuff in the future I don't have any predictions but I just have a feeling but yeah, yeah I, it's going to have to stop eventually <laughs> yeah because, or we'll just have super leagues uh, but I, think I don't the want ne- that. I think the next round of realignment will happen when the SEC breaks up because, like, it's too either, big. Yeah, Missouri, like, Mizzou, like, those teams are going to be like, absolutely not. It's Texas. just really, we're just going to go back to what it was prior to all this, and you're going to get the Big Eight back. You're going to get the Southwest Conference. You're going to get all these conference backs. So that, 
it's going to come full circle if we're being honest. Yeah, they should they they wouldn't do it. And I don't even think you can do it, but they should have added Oklahoma and Texas and kicked out the bottom two teams and stayed at, and went to fourteen, stayed at fourteen, yeah. and then went round robin, took out Vanderbilt and um, uh, is it, would it be Missouri. It probably would be Missouri. Yeah, it'd probably be Missouri. Uh, yeah, and that works. Uh, yeah. So speaking of the alliance, all that TV stuff went to the wayside. It's it's too complicated, honestly. Like, so how would if you had your contractual rights, would you just you'd probably just negotiate an entirely separate deal for alliance games? Yeah, that's probably what they do, right? Um, if they still wanted to keep those, yeah, you'd probably negotiate a separate deal with like the network partners, and they'd be able to like work out which games they wanted. That's probably what would happen, but that's not a conversation we need to have. So, uh, TV money though, um, I saw an article today and it was crazy. So, the parent company of the NBC Sports Networks and NBC, NBC Universal is making a possible $1.1 billion play for a portion of the Big Ten. And that is an astronomical number when you look at it immediately. But it isn't going to be big enough. And I just kind of wanted to get your opinion on the new TV deals. Like, talking this type of money is way over my head because TV deals are just, I mean, they're... They're astronomical. Like, what are we talking about here? A billion dollars to watch college football. I mean, live sports are the most valuable TV stuff. But how seeing that article make you feel? Because I, I, it's the new deal. There's two years to negotiate it. There's going to be a ton of major players trying to get in on the Big Ten because, like Gene Smith said, it's extremely valuable. How, how like, what, what's your thoughts on this? Well, first of all, I think the deal will be set by the summer. There, I, I believe they're in a, a negotiating period with ESPN right now. That article said, and it's an exclusive window that ESPN is paying yeah. for. But this deal will be done by the summer. Um, I thought it was interesting. Uh, I don't want the Big Ten to be on NBC. I don't want to watch Big Ten games on Peacock. Although, let me say this: they Peacock is better than ESPN Plus right now. For as much money as ESPN has, like Peacock is low-key the better app. I've never watched live sports on there, but like just because of all their other packages and stuff that they did, they had to create a high-functioning app to carry all of their TV and stuff. So it would probably be better watching football games on Peacock than it is on ESPN+. Plus. ESPN+, Plus sucks. But I really don't want NBC. What I do like about it, though, is it's going to drive the market. Because NBC doesn't have college football right now, except Notre Dame, which, ah, right? That's just small, right? That yeah. doesn't do much for them. CBS doesn't have college football at all right now because they're losing the SEC. And maybe CBS won't be the player we think they are, or maybe they will be, and they're just upset because ESPN never gave them a chance to be a player. Fox is absolutely never going to lose the Big Ten. That'd be the worst decision they've ever made. We don't know where ESPN is going to land on it because they have the SEC. They just paid they like the ACC too. Yeah, they have the ACC. And if you've never paid attention, ESPN ABC has never had a Super Bowl. They are now in the Super Bowl rotation. They just played a boatload of money to be in the new Super Bowl rotation. I think they get two in ten years because there's now four 
there's now four companies that get the Super Bowl. Two of them get two of them get it three times. ESPN, ABC gets it twice, and someone else gets it twice. So they just paid a buttload of money to the NFL, a buttload of money to the SEC. They have ACC. Who knows how much money they have left in their budget if they're really going to be on Ohio State. But the point that I'm trying to make is those are the four biggest media companies, ESPN, yeah. Fox, CBS, NBC. Every single one of them wants in on the Big Ten. Whoever gets the Big Ten, astronomical. And that's where the SEC messed up by doing exclusive rights with ESPN because ESPN had to pay a lot to get those exclusive rights, but it never went to open market. And having four teams bid, yeah, it's going to be astronomical. It's going to be insane. And I, I did some research on each of the media companies before we got this, and NBC is a little smaller than CBS and ESPN. So the parent companies, Disney has unlimited money. They they can do whatever they want. They, like if they wanted to, like they, I, I think their budget is stretched a little thin on the live sports they want to acquire. But if they really wanted the Big Ten, they could they could match an offer. They'll just wait. And if it's there's going to be a point where CBS or Viacom could put enough money out to where it wouldn't be worth it for ESPN to match it. But I, I don't know. I think CBS, they paid a lot for the package to have the rights to SEC games, and they only have the primetime window. Fox, like you said, they're not going to give up the Big Ten. They'll pay. They'll give up everything to keep the Big Ten. And I, I just think it, it's going to be – so what, what was the value it ended up being for? The SEC, it's $3 billion over 10 years. Yeah. Yep, so exactly. it comes out to three hundred million a year. Uh, I think if if it's going to be a three billion dollar deal, it'd probably be eight for for this Big Ten deal. And if they get a ten year deal, it's probably going to be in that four billion dollar range. Yeah, uh, the one thing that we said before the show that I want to say again: the only way the Big Ten doesn't touch that three billion dollar number is if they do like a six year deal again, which is what like Jim Delaney loved to do shorter contracts so that they could always reset the market. If they do a six-year deal, they're not going to touch $3 billion, but they're going to have a higher payout. Whatever it's going to be, it's going to be more than $300 million a year. Um, so, like, like, for example, $350 million, like six years, $350, $350 million a year is just $2.1 billion. But that's $50 million a year more than what the SEC would get. So the only way yeah. they don't touch that is if it's a shorter contract. But they will have, be they the most lucrative contract. The more year to year, yeah. And yeah. I think the most interesting thing to me is like, I'm, we've become so accustomed to watching Ohio State on ESPN and ABC. We got Herb Street and Fowler a couple times a year. You get Joel Klatt and Gus Johnson six or seven times a year for Ohio State. And you get the one or two games on Big Ten Network. Um, it's going to be interesting. I, 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 it, it'll be extremely interesting to see CBS come up with Big Ten branding. It'll be extremely interesting to see how their coverage for that team changes. Uh, it'll be extremely interesting to see how ESPN's college football coverage continues to pivot towards the brands it fully owns. And it'll be interesting to see how this affects the college football TV rights, because that is going to be a significant. This is going to be an, this is going to be a significant market measuring stick for those contracts as well. 
Yeah, for sure. The one thing that's going to be interesting, and I don't know if this will ever happen in college football, it probably won't be to the next media rights because they're trying to figure it out for the NFL right now. It'll be interesting if a streaming platform gets in on it. Like, NBC is definitely going to have it on Peacock. So, like, that's a part of it. But, like, Amazon is very – like, Amazon just got the Thursday night football package. Like, every Thursday night football game will be on Amazon. So, it's probably too early for them to do that in college football. But – that's something else to think about. Like, does Amazon or, or one of these companies want to to get in? Because you got to remember, football drives the boat, drives the drives the bus, the boat, whichever you want to say. But a lot of these, like, how many Big Ten other sports games are on Big Ten Network? Like, does Amazon or does NBC, for example, really want to get you know their sports package up by having Big Ten basketball, soccer, hockey, shooting, wrestling, gymnastics, swimming, yeah. softball, baseball, all of those on there for consistent programming that ESPN doesn't have the space for. That's one of the things with the ESPN deals. ESPN has football, basketball. They don't really have space for all that. If you want to watch a basketball, a volleyball game, it's on Big Ten Network most of the time or on the streaming platform. So that's going to be interesting as well. Maybe not for this media rights deal, but if, they figure, future, out how yeah. to, if they figure out how to do it successfully for the NFL, don't be surprised when Amazon and some of these other places come, come knocking. Yeah, and I think that's an interesting point. And I will say the joint venture, the Big Ten Network, that's part of Fox's bid because they own 50% of it. So if they buy into uh, the Big Ten, they're going to put as much as they can on that. So I, it'd be interesting. I, I, I'd i be intrigued to see if the Big Ten Network takes on an additional media partner. It, this is stuff that like you wouldn't even think about as like a real possibility 10 years ago, but the way – mass media has changed over the last 10 years has been so significant that these deals are absurd like who gets to share these games like uh, it's it's uh, it's gonna be complicated and i think we're gonna this is gonna be a story that we're gonna follow pretty consistently because there's always gonna be stuff breaking about it as these negotiations happen so uh a lot of money is in play the big 10 is the most valuable conference i think uh, they have the most valuable football game in the country, and it's gonna be it's gonna be a lot of fun. And I honestly, I mean, I, I really don't care where I stay plays as long as I don't have to pay that many extra outlets to to watch them. Yeah, that, well, I mean, Ohio State's always gonna be on TV, so yeah. So as long as you have cable access, you'll be able to watch Ohio State. Uh, but yeah, um, I think that's the last major point of conversation we have today. But we got a few things. Um, I, I know you've been on Twitter. I, I kind of we're gonna get into some quick hits here. Um, the wide receiver. So there's that picture circulating of Marvin Harrison Jr. doing some sort of mat drill where they have to jump. And he is four feet higher in the air than the other two players he's next to. And he is probably, I want to say, six feet off the ground. Did you, see that? Did you see the other picture? Yeah, where he's mossing the dude and he's like 16 feet in the air. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Marvin Harrison Jr., certified freak. So, yeah, this, this kind of raised a question for me. And I, I think this is going to be a very long offseason question that we have. And we'll probably come back to it a few times as more stuff comes out with these guys and recruiting updates and stuff. But we look at Garrett Wilson, we look at Chris Olave, and we're like, man, these are two of the best receivers to ever play at Ohio State. And this offseason, 
or this during the season, me and Jordan talked, we were like, maybe Jackson Smith and Jigba is the best receiver of the three. He went on to honestly prove that down the stretch. He's incredible. And now we've got Marvin Harrison Jr., who in his first performance for Ohio State scored, was it three touchdowns in his first starting performance in the Rose Bowl? And with Brian Hartline's recruiting, the athletes are getting better. The baseline receiver who's coming in is more ready to contribute immediately. And they're still getting a year or two to refine themselves before they get on the field because there's so much talent in front of them. That when they get on the field, it looks like it's better every single time. How high do you think this standard can go? Because I think next, like two first-round picks is the standard right now. And I think Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson are going to end up both in the first round. Marvin Harrison Jr. is a first-round pick. I I don't even need to see him play. He's going to be a first-round pick. Jackson Smith and Jigba, he could sit out this year. He'd be a first-round pick. Like, this is where we're at, where it's just an automatic. And you're starting to get to the point where these guys might be top 10 guys. We're going to start seeing records get shattered. Like, Jackson Smith and Jigba, we talked about it last week kind of quickly, but, like, 1,600 yards for him next year is not out of the realm of possibility. And that's scary. And Marvin Harrison Jr. might have 16 touchdowns next year. And that's yeah. just normal now. So so here's the thing. And a lot of this is subjective. But Ohio State hasn't reached its ceiling, and this is how. And maybe this changes next year. Ohio State that has never had the best wide receiver in the draft. Like, we may think they do. But, like, like they didn't have Jamar Chase, where everyone was like, this is the best wide receiver in the draft. Yeah. Been, I, like, you know, we didn't have – like, we haven't reached that level. Again, maybe Jackson Smith is going to be that next year. But then there's also going to be Jordan Addison, who just won the Belitnikoff. So, I think the ceiling – the absolute ceiling is this is the number one best wide receiver in the country. This is the best wide receiver in the draft. He's going to be a top five pick, something like that. Uh, there's a lot of – often on debate on Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. They are both first-rounders, but, like, that's a step above. So that is a ceiling that we have yet to reach. What I would say, and this is a very hard expectation, but we're getting to the point where every star on Ohio State should be a first-round receiver. It can, it can get to the point where every starter, so like not you know your guy who plays a couple, like every starter, those top three wide receivers, every starter should be a first round pick um, or a high second, and that's hard to say because you know a lot of wide receivers and eventually teams are going to stop needing wide receivers if all these studs keep coming into the league. That's so. true. But I think it's going to get to the point where, like, no Ohio State starting wide receiver should fall out of the second round. Uh, and Jack Smith and Jigler, first rounder. Marvin Harrison, first rounder. Um, Emeka Ibuka is probably going to be a first rounder, especially because he can return as well. Um, Julian Fleming is probably going to be a second or third rounder if he can finally get on the field. But if he explodes, he could be a first rounder. I mean, it's getting to the point, yeah, like you were saying, where the ceiling's very high. So I think the the standard, the way that uh, Brian Hartline has this room, is that every number one receiver should be a first round pick. Every starter should not fall past the second round. And I think that's where we're going to see this this team go. It's it's incredible that this guy Marvin Harrison Jr., who is that freakish of an athlete, couldn't crack the field really all that much last year. And 
and not just yeah. figures of an athlete. He's an excellent route runner. Yeah, like, I keep going like, back to it. Ahead of his route, time. That route that he put on that guy in the end zone, and someone in the, like I think it was the QB school and a couple other people had broken it down. Like that's not an easy route to run, and the way he no. like leaned, like just the, like the intangibles, the way he leaned, yeah. his head this, looking this way, the way he snapped his body ball right there, like. And he couldn't. He couldn't touch the field. Like, yeah, it's 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 it's. It, I I have no words for it. That's kind of why. That's where. Like, I saw that picture, and it just put this in my brain. Like, the receivers are going to be better next year. And last year, Ohio State had Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, and they're going to be better this season. Yeah, and there are going to be some quote unquote down years and things like that. But the reason why the standard is always going to stay up is essentially this. Ohio State's at the point where every single one of their starters should be a first-round pick. They're at the point where they're wide receivers. And so the best wide receivers are going to want to come here and be developed by the best because they're going to – like it it just – it keeps – it's a cycle. It's like going to Wisconsin to be a good offensive lineman. Yeah, it makes sense because they always have good offensive linemen. They always build them, that kind of stuff. So it's going to keep getting better or maintaining – because the top wide receivers are always going to want to come here. Even if we don't get Brandon Ennis, like we're going to get the next guy or the next guy. Yeah. We're always going to get a stud and then they get developed. And then they like, it's just, it's hard to fall off unless Brian Hartline just decides to like quit. Yeah. It's remarkable. That's honestly the only word to describe. It's remarkable. And it's, it's awesome. I'm so excited. I'm so excited for this group. It's going to be extremely fun to watch them next year. And I, the amount of first round draft picks that are going to be coming out of that room. I don't think I off just natural physical ability alone. There's probably five or six first round draft picks in the room. And that's before you get into technique and fun. Like just like Julian Fleming, if you just looked at him and did all he's his measurables, he, he, he just may not be because of the injury yeah. and things like that. Like but he's, he's two hundred thirty pounds. He probably runs a four three four four, and he probably has like a forty five inch vertical jump. Like I really hope our wide receivers. I really hope our wide receivers this year are Micah and Buka, are um, Marvin Harrison Jr. Julian Fleming and Jackson Smith and Jake with a Micah and Buka and like rotating in. Yeah, it's stupid, and I'm so excited. Uh, the next one, Ohio State's gotten a lot bigger this offseason. 320 pounds, I think yeah. the number was. Um, Something like that. Regardless, uh, they put on weight. A lot of people have talked about 356 pounds since last fall, according to our friends at 11 Warriors. Um, the big na- notable names were Jack Sawyer, Andre Turrentine, Kyle McCord, Jordan Hancock. G's got a lot of guys. G's got that's a good one because he's trying to play tight end. Steel Chambers, Jalen Johnson, um, a lot of defensive backs. You know, defensive backs tend to come in smaller and they put on that fifteen to twenty pounds, and that's what that's probably what takes them from like being uh, not playable to playable is just being able to match the physicality consistency with size. But yeah, Jack Sawyer getting 260 pounds. We know what that's for the ideal size for a Jim Knowles Leo. So that's intriguing. Andre Turrentine. He's a guy I'm excited about. I haven't heard a lot of people talk about him, but he came in pretty light. And now I think he's cracked above that 200 range. So, I don't know. I mean, Lejon Cavazos lost three pounds. Some players are down. This started uh, – you got into an exchange about some weight stuff here. So um, what was your initial reaction to the weight changes? 
I think it's overblown. I understand that there are some people who have issues with Ohio State strength and conditioning staff. That's a little bit above my pay grade. I can't say that they're right or wrong because I don't pay that much attention to it. There are some valid points into that. But I think when it comes to this specifically, there was no one on this list that I saw who gained weight. And I didn't go through the whole thing and who gained exactly how many pounds. There was no one on this list that I saw who gained weight who didn't need to gain weight. Like Jack Sawyer was 240. He was too light. You Couldn't can't play defense like and at 240. You, no. Like you can't, you not, especially how he wants to play. Cause he's a, like, he's not like a four, three guy who's just going to burn you off the edge. So he needed to get a little bit stronger. Uh, Steel Chambers was at like 205 because he was a running back. You can't play linebacker at 205, or at least you shouldn't. So I don't know how many pounds he put on. Like you said, a lot of the a lot of the so if he's at like 220 or 218 now, whatever it is. He's at 232 be, now according to the wages. Yeah, so, that's solid. That's good. That is good for a linebacker. Wait, I think I think he could probably play at 225. Um but like uh, you know, the safeties. A lot. Of, I don't remember all of them, but a lot of them came in at like one seventy, one eighty, one ninety. Like you were saying, I think if they can get to that two hundred, two hundred five, something like that. So I know that there are some old school things, and maybe Mick is very old school, and Ohio State's not top of the line and that kind of stuff. I'm not going to argue with that because I don't know. I don't pay attention to that. I do think this was overblown though, especially because the people on that list needed to gain weight. Like, yeah. it's, it's very simple. At least the starters. I can't speak for everyone, but a lot of them needed well, to get yeah, Most of them were young guys who were defensive linemen or offensive linemen who came in in that, like, 280, 270 range and needed to put on 15 to 20 pounds. And you always lose weight in your first year in the program. Always. And then they find out the best weight for you, this, that, and the third. But, like, you always lose or gain weight in your first year in the program because you were never the right size for college going yeah. out of high school in most cases. Yeah, I will say. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't think it's a big deal. I think most of that weight I'm looking at the list now came from younger guys, like offensive and defensive linemen, and that's just normal. Or guys who are on the smaller side, like Turrentine, who needed to put on some muscle to be more of a playable character. This is this is funny. A, ki- a kicker on the team, Garrison Smith, put on 45 pounds. So <laughs> if we're really gonna blow up this number. 150 pounds to 195 pounds. He found uh, whatever supplements he's allowed to legally take, and he took them. And that's awesome. That's awesome. Like, 5'7 kicker getting to 195. I want to see this guy. I want to see what type of 45 pounds it was. Yeah, that's funny. Uh, He's probably jacked. Uh, Yeah, well, that's all kickers do. They kick and they work out. Or they don't, and they just sit around. And that's either one, whatever floats your boat. If you can make field goals, you can make field goals. If you want to be one of those super jacked kickers, I'm all for it. If you want to be a Sebastian Janikowski where you can tell his only workouts the nine beers he drinks when he gets home, I'm for it as well. If the kick goes through the uprights. Yeah, Hot Rod doesn't work out at all. You see that man? Uh, he's at home playing with his Legos and hanging out with his fiance or maybe his wife yeah. now. Uh, and for anyone who doesn't know, like he genuinely plays with Legos. That was not like shade. Like he's a he's a Lego collector. So like, don't think I'm being hey. mean or something. Like that's actually his thing. So <laughs> like, I just know the way I said it, it was like maybe like I was discriminating because of how he looked. Like no, no, no. Like he actually is in the Legos. Yeah, if you he don't plays know that. Legos. Yeah, so, that's funny. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. I did. I honestly took it the way where I, he like legitimately played with Legos, but then I'm like, yeah, no, he is kind of a nerd. I could see him playing with Legos. Yeah, 
No, like he genuinely plays with Legos. That's like his thing. Uh, Yeah, the next one on the list, no new contract right now for Ryan Day. Even with the rumored interest from the NFL, Gene Smith said we haven't talked about it yet. Uh, I don't think it's a big story. I think they'll get to it. You also can't give a coach a raise when they lose the one game they can't lose. Yeah. If we talked about that, he's gonna get a raise, but like why? He makes seven million dollars. Yeah. It's good. And he gets he gets incremental <clears throat> raises each year anyway, so it's yeah really it's really a non factor right now. He's gonna make more money this season. Uh but yeah, like you can't give the coach who just lost to that team up north a raise. That's just, that's just that's the way it is. I think Ohio State fans would have been upset if he got a raise, and I think they're upset that he didn't get a raise. So that's just one that's kind of tough because you want Ryan Day solidified for the next 10 years, which from everything he says he is mentally, but you also can't give the guy who just lost to Michigan a race. So, uh, but this guy, this guy, you know the guy I'm talking about, this, this guy, uh, Jim Harbaugh. He signed his contract extension five years. He's back up to what he was making before. Uh, And his comments today were, yeah, I'm not going to go look at the NFL again. Uh, Yeah, stop lying. (laughs) So, yeah, I saw a lot of Michigan fans. Like, you could say a lot about Jim Harbaugh, but he's an honest man. And I'm like, you guys are – you guys are pathetic. Uh, that's that was my thought. And Jim Harbaugh, this is why we know he's lying. Uh, Jim Harbaugh's contract has a three million dollar buyout that halves the next year to one point five million, and then gets under a million in year three. He is so either Michigan's ready to fire him. Yeah. <laughs> Either Michigan's uh, putting a failsafe in so they can fire him, or uh, he's ready to go. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's both. Yeah, I, I, I don't think they like each other all that much anymore. Uh, a lot of the coaches acted excited about it. Eh, it doesn't really matter. You got to act excited if your boss does something good. And yeah, that's it for me today. I don't think I'm happy to see Jim Harbaugh back. That is what I'll end with. I'm that's my final thought. I'm happy to see Jim Harbaugh back because he finally has to come to Columbus. And yeah, I, that's that's what I'm here for. Um, my final thought is that football season's over and I'm sad and I want to delete my Twitter because Ohio State and the Colts had a bad year. So Ohio State and Colts fans, separate fan bases, are just being entirely toxic right now. Um, and it's just very frustrating. Like, I'm so tired of, like, the arguing over little things and, like, all like you know like the Carson Wentz conversation right now is ridiculous and all these people talking and stuff so it's like man I really wish that games were back so we could just watch the games because the offseason especially in the offseason where things aren't happening like you're not going to hear anything from the Buckeyes for a while with the NFL you have a couple of weeks before free agency and the draft and that kind of stuff and it's like this this part of the year is really depressing and it's largely because Fans are like certain subsets of fans are like maniacal and they don't enjoy anything. So my final thought is yeah. like, enjoy things. Like life yeah. is not that bad. Like even if even like even when it, your sports team is bad, it's not that bad. Like do you not do anything else? So like stop yeah, making my I, Twitter depressing. 
I, I just enjoy I enjoy the the communicating about sports, but you're right. Sometimes I just got to put the phone down, and yeah. walk away because it's, it's like, just man, not good. Like, why is Twitter so depressing right now? Like, why are you upset about everything? Like, you're literally arguing. Like, I had oh oh I'm sorry. I don't know if he listens to the podcast. But if he does, it doesn't matter because he knows we argued about this. I had someone argue with me that, um, oh, my God. I had someone argue with me that Rocket, Ronnie Hickman, would potentially lose his starting spot and be lost on the depth chart next year. That's where fans are in the offseason. So, yeah. <laughs> like, um. I mean, it like it could happen. There's new coaching staff, but I'm not absolutely no my money happening. against it. Did you know there's absolutely no way that happens? Yeah, he was, I mean, he was one of three good players on the defense, and you don't bench the game. the guy who had the first hundred yard season, hundred tackle season since uh, since um, Raekwon McMillan, and his role is already built into the defense. The defense doesn't yeah, change. I, I don't so, think I don't think he's gonna fall out of playing. And yeah, no, I don't think that's that's where we're at. Yeah. Also, the guy said that he was going to be replaced by Court Williams. And it's like, if Court Williams couldn't take his spot last year, what makes you think he's going to take it this year? He was coming off an ACL tear last year. He could be better. It's really – I mean, that's where I'm at. I'm arguing it. I don't know why. I I, I think Ronnie Hickman's going to keep his job. The offseason is killing me, man. Yeah. Like, you know, I I didn't expect – yeah, so I I just feel like – Nothing better to do. (laughs) There are a few givens in life. And one – there's no – there are a few givens on this Ohio State roster. And one of them is unless he does drugs – Pulls a Marcus like, Hooker. Gets a, gets a DUI. Pulls a Marcus Hooker. Like, unless he just stops showing up to practice or forgets how to play football, Rocket Ronnie Hickman starting next year. Like, that's guaranteed. He's one of, like, yeah, three guaranteed spots. Like, him, uh, Stroud, Jackson Smith and Jigba, half of the offensive line. Like, he, may, him and Denzel Burke may be the only guaranteed starters on the defense. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I, I'd, so. I'd put that in there. Um, but, yeah, I think that's good for today. Uh, how you guys? I hope you guys enjoyed the show. Uh, make sure you guys subscribe and rate us. Uh, Spotify is new, so we've got five stars right now. Keep us keep us going there. Um, and give me and Jordan some love in the Apple ratings. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Chris Rennie CFB and the show at Buck Off Pod. Jordan, where can we find you at? You can find me on Twitter at jordanw330. Please follow me, but only if you're going to make my Twitter less depressing. If you're going to be a depressing Ohio State fan, follow me during football season when we can yell back and forth. But not right now. Uh, yeah. And go Bucks, as always. Yep, go Bucks. See you guys next week.